Hi, I'm Ezra Fieldsmeyer. And I'm Casey Cantrell. And welcome to Animation and Beyond. And this is the fifth episode, and today we are talking about the new stop-motion animated film from Leica called Missing Link. Yeah, and it's out this Friday. Yep, so we will be talking about that. Usually we start these episodes by answering the trivia question from the last episode, but this time we're doing something a little different. Whoa, changes. And we are going to be answering the trivia question at the end of the episode rather than beginning. So stick around uh, till the end of the episode and you'll get the answer to last episode's trivia question. But for now, the news. Yesterday was the first teaser trailer for the animated Adams Family remake, and it stars Oscar Isaac, Nick Kroll, Chloe Grace Moretz, Elsie Fisher, and some other people. It's a computer animated, um, like, reimagination of the Charles Adams cartoon, The Adams Family, and it's also a remake of the original films. Right. It's also continuing the Adams Family franchise. Is it a reboot or a remake? I think a reboot, but it's the same characters. It's based on the same thing, the Adams Family. And it'll be out this October, October 11th for Halloween. Awesome. Today was the first full-length trailer for Remake of the Lion King, which is out on July 19th. Yeah, I just watched that trailer myself this morning. Interesting to see what has or really what hasn't changed. It looks like the story beats are very similar. Yeah, it's the same the same story of the unforgettable animated classic from 1994. Right. So it'll be interesting. And we got to hear Mufasa in the trailer, but we didn't. I don't think we heard any, from any of the other characters. Well, we did show footage of characters first look at Timon, Pumbaa, and Zazu. Right. We did get to see some of the new characters, or I guess old characters in a sense, but we haven't yet heard them. So the only one we've heard is Mufasa. Also, Disney announced yesterday a new show that's coming to Disney Plus in 2020 called Monsters at Work, and it'll be based on Disney Pixar's Monsters, Inc. franchise. And the really big news about that, as you were telling me. Billy Crystal and John Goodman will reprise their roles as Mike and Sully. Yeah, that's pretty cool, actually. It should be fun to see. It'll be a set after the events of Monsters, Inc. Well, another bit of news that I saw was the new trailer for the Joker standalone film. Yeah. Starring Joaquin Phoenix. It kind of looks like if Martin Scorsese directed a superhero film. So that's going to be very interesting to watch and see how that film turns out. Yep. Coming later this year are going to be some new Looney Tune short films. Right. Like new, like just little be new modern shorts, just like the classic shorts by Chuck Jones and Frizz Freeling. Right. And so we'll get to see some of the old favorite characters like Bugs Bunny. And- Daffy Duck, Tweety. Sylvester, Taz, and a lot of others. And when's that coming out? In the summer, I think? Yeah, yeah. It's going to premiere first at the Annecy Film Festival in France. Mm-hmm. More news. First, there was the first image of the black hole revealed today. Oh, right. That's really incredible stuff. Since it's a black hole, you can't actually get a picture of the black hole itself. Yeah. So what you see is the event horizon around the black hole. The part where all basically the light is being sucked into the black hole. Yeah. Um, it's a really incredible shot and really fascinating the just the science behind it. And that, you know, astronomers were able to capture that, that image. Yeah. Also... Some exciting new games have been soft-launched, including two new Candy Crush games, 
Disney Epic Quest has been soft-launched in Southeast East Asia. Disney Sorcerer's Arena has been soft-launched, and so has a new Toy Story game called Toy Story Drop in honor of Toy Story 4 has been soft-launched, and a new Angry Birds game called Angry Birds Pop 2. And those are all games for smartphones and tablets that have been soft-launched but have not been worldwide launched yet, but should sometime later this year. All right, so I think that's it for the news. And now it's time for the feature presentation. Meet Mr. Link. You know, like, Missing Link. Ah! Wait, I don't get it. A creature of enormous stature. Eight feet tall. 650 pounds. It's more like, uh, you know, 630 pounds. No, it's it's the hair that makes me look heavier, I think. It's, it's, a, it's a little deceptive. It can be frustrating. He's a link to our past. Oh. A connection to our present. Oh. And a bridge to the future. Oh. Wait a second. Today we are talking about Leica Studios' latest feature, Missing Link. The new animated feature. When is it coming out again? On April 12th, this Friday. It is the fifth feature film from Leica Studio, which has specialized in stop motion animation, um, which is a very old style of animation. It's been around since, basically since movies have been made. Some notable works that have been... that. Well, before you get into that, could you just tell us a little bit about what stop motion is? They use figures and they use cameras and it looks realistic. And they take it one picture to another to make a film. Every shot in a stop motion, they will take a picture of a scene and then they'll move the characters very, very slightly, take another picture and just repeat that for the entire film. Making scenes come together. Mm-hmm. It takes thousands and thousands of pictures and thousands and thousands of hours of manipulating these figures, building these figures, and making it look like a movie. And you've had some experience with stop motion, right? Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Some of my early animated videos I did were stop motion before I did them flash animated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what was that process like of making the stop motion animation work? I go slowly, moving little by little, mm-hmm. and you take a bunch of pictures to animate it. Mm-hmm. So once you get all the pictures, is there some kind of software that helps you put those pictures? Yeah, like like Apple iMovie or like Adobe software. Mm -hmm. And you've probably seen examples of stop motion. Claymation is a common one. If you've watched any of the old King Kong films, you know, CGI wasn't a thing back then. Mm -hmm. So they had to film these scenes with these monsters or these bigger than life. Yeah, yeah. Other well-known stop motion classics like Puppetoons in the 1960s and 70s. There have been stop-motion animated Christmas classics like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Little Drummer Boy, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and some others. Mm-hmm. Also, there have been clay-animated things like Gumby is a good example, right. and so is Davy and Goliath, mm-hmm. created by Art Clokey. And the British animation studio, Ardman, one of their first early things they did was Morph and Secret Conversations. But their best, most famous thing, no, most famous thing they did is the Wallace and Gromit series. Like, Tim Burton has done stop-motion films, like Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach, which were directed by Henry Selleck, and he also directed the Warner Brothers film Tim Burton's Corpse Bride, and he also did the 2012 movie Frankenweenie, a black-and-white film from Disney. 
there's been a lot of famous um, stop motion. It's kind of archaic now because technology has advanced so much that that sort of... Archaic, what does that mean? Archaic. So archaic means old-fashioned. I see what you're saying. Outdated. Outdated, yeah. And that's not a jab against stop motion at all. It's just, it's a very old-fashioned way of animating things. Well, they do stop motion now, but in a a more up-to-date way with using newer and more digital technology. Right, so... Some of them, even though they're stop motion animated, some effects in the films are digital. Right. You mentioned Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. How would you describe the stop motion in that film versus, like, stop motion today? Very different then with the technology and a little creepy because the way it was in stop motion was like then. Yeah, it's it's a little more jerky. These characters didn't actually move in a lifelike way. Nowadays, as you said, technology has advanced so much that stop motion looks a lot smoother, a lot more lifelike. And so it really has advanced. And I think Laika in particular has been really on the forefront of that, of making these advancements. Because if you've seen any Laika film, something, it's a marvel to look at. Just in terms of the animation, the creativity, and the sense of style that stop motion brings. What would you say makes stop motion unique or different from more modern animation styles? It's more realistic looking. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, generally, everything you see on the screen for a stop-motion animated film actually exists. There's actually a prop, or there is a real set. Although nowadays in most stop-motion films, like, the effects they put in them are all digital now, despite being stop-motion, because the way they did it then, the effects were stop-motion. But it's easier now with the newer digital stuff. I read a funny thing about Coraline where they have digital effects for fire in the film, but they had to design the effects to look like stop motion. So so it looks like stop motion, but it's digital. Right. So it's, it's a kind of funny middle ground that they find. But yeah, so everything has that texture that something that's digitally made doesn't necessarily have that texture. That's not to say that one type of animation is better than the other, but there is a distinct difference when you look at something that has been designed by real people rather than being made in a computer. So as we said, Missing Link is the newest feature from Leica. Um, Ezra, could you tell us a little bit about Missing Link? Yeah, Missing Link is a is an adventure comedy film about a man who's an explorer, and he goes out for find a lost species who who which people have been looking for for centuries, and he goes and finds Miss. Mr. Link, who goes by many names, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, and he calls himself Susan, even though that's a lady's name. And that explorer and that mythical monster go on an adventure together to bring back his kind, and they go around the world and find people of different cultures, and... It's set, like, either late in the 19th century, early in the 20th century, because they take a train when they go around the world Mm -hmm. or across the country. It has a feel of around the world in 80 days, in a way, in that way. That classic novel. Right, in in that they're traveling around the world using these old-fashioned means of transportation and, and just encountering different cultures and that sort of thing. Who is it directed by? It's directed by Chris Butler, who also directed Paranorman. Right. It also features the voices of Hugh Jackman, Zoe Saldana, Zach Galifianakis, Emma Thompson, Stephen Fry, 
So a really star-studded cast. I have an inside source who has seen the movie already in advance, and he has praised the voice acting in the film. He says Mm. it's really, really good. So that's no surprise given just the cast that they've brought on. Um, So the early reviews have been positive. Yeah, the early reviews have been very positive. Leica Studio, generally since it first produced Coraline, has received really positive reviews for all of its films. Number of accolades they've been nominated. I think every film they've made has been nominated for Best Animated Feature for the Oscars. Yep. And they've won a number of awards. So generally, they've produced a lot of critical hits. And since we're talking about, uh, we keep referencing the original films from Leica, let's talk about them a little bit. So the first one that came out in, was it 2009? Yep. Yeah, it was. February 6th, 2009 is when it was released. Right. So almost a little bit more than 10 years before Missing Link, they made Coraline in 2009 based on a children's story written by Neil Gaiman. A horror novella. And it's about a young, a little girl who just moved into a new house, but doesn't find it fun or exciting, and she finds it boring, and she dreams of somewhere bigger and more fun. And one day she ends up in a new world, which is an alternate version of her world, and she thinks it's an exciting dream come true, but it turns out to be a nightmare, and her fake parents are actually pretty evil and scary. Right. Yeah, so they have, um, the distinguishing feature is that they have, instead of eyes, they have buns. Which is kind of creepy. Right, it's very creepy. The film was nominated for Best Animated Feature by the Oscars. and didn't win. I, I can't remember who won in 2009. Mm, up. Or that year. Up, yeah, so. But in my opinion, I, I Princess and the Frog won because I liked it better, but Up won, but I thought Princess and the Frog should have because it's a better movie. Okay. Same with other films that won, but I wanted something else to win in the Oscars. Right, right. There have been others like that. A fun th- thing to mention is that Coraline was directed by Henry Selick, who, as we mentioned before, he directed Nightmare Before Christmas, which is probably one of the most beloved stop-motion animated features ever. And he also directed James and the Giant Peach, based on the classic novel by Roald Dahl. Right. Ezra, in fact, you have a story about meeting Henry Selleck. I met him once when when there were still Borders bookstores, and one of them was at the Century City Mall in December of 2009, and I got a a signed autograph of, of a DVD of Coraline and and also a book which has the art of the movie as well as... Did you get to talk to Henry Selleck at all? Yeah, I did and he was nice. Mm-hmm. And what did he say about working on that film? Mm, how really hard, a lot of hard work it was to make it and how advanced it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And if you haven't seen Coraline, the animated work in it is really incredible. One of the standout scenes is the mouse circus, I think it's called. Yeah, I remember there were those two old ladies who were Coraline's neighbors. Uh-huh. And there was also her friend, YB. So they, they have this mouse circus, right? Just the sheer amount of work that had to go into animating that. You have like a bunch of mice jumping around, a lot of different things moving at the same time. The mouse circus was really a standout one for me. I agree with you, yeah. So the next film that they made was... Paranorman. Paranorman, and that came out when? In August 17th of 2012. Mm-hmm. It was about a boy named Norman who lived with his parents and his older sister. I think it takes place in Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And we should mention that Leica is based in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. 
Norman. He speaks to the dead, and there's zombies that come out and ghosts that invade the, the town. There was also a girl who was a ghost of an 11-year-old girl from the 1700s who was accused of witchcraft, who was revealed that she caused the whole invasion of those ghosts and ghouls and zombies. Just like Coraline, it's a horror film, right? It was also nominated for Best Animated Feature again by the Academy Awards. Which it lost to Brave, but in my opinion, Wreck-It Ralph should have won, just like others in general that won, which I thought should have also won in general. Right. Same idea. It seems like there's a running theme. But in my eyes, the one that I didn't win won because I like them no matter what. Yeah, so again, running with that that horror theme, and we should also mention that Coraline herself was an 11-year-old girl. And Norman's an 11-year-old boy. Right, and so there's, again, that running theme of a kid as the lead of the film. Which I know that three of their films, the main character's a boy, but their first film, Coraline, the main character's a girl. Right, so the next film, Box Trolls, also stars uh, a young boy as the lead. Yeah, it's like set during the Victorian era. And the main character is a little boy named Eggs, who was an orphan boy, which his name is Eggs, or a a box that Eggs came from, but his real name was unknown. Mm -hmm. He was raised by those box trolls, which are monstrous creatures that are misunderstood. The the villain of it was a greedy and ruthless man named Archibald Snatcher, who hates these box trolls. Yeah, Yeah, well, with a name like Snatcher, you know. Like, he was a kidnapper and so selfish and dishonest and such a liar. So we, again, we have a running theme across, like, Which were kind of dark and scary, but this one wasn't so scary and dark like its previous two movies. Right. Was it? Yeah. It was also nominated for Best Animated Feature. But it lost to Big Hero 6, which I'm happy that Big Hero 6 won. What would you say were some of the similarities between the first three films? Like, dark themed, but not as dark as the previous movie. Or there were some creatures in there in that film, but they weren't scary or evil, just misunderstood. Yeah, so it's interesting that there there is that progressive nature because in Coraline, the bad guys are really just monsters and there's not really much sympathy. But in this one, they're monsters, but they're not evil. They're just misunderstood. They're really nice. They're just misunderstood because of how scary they might look. Exactly. So you see this trend away from this sort of black and white vision. Um, and the film's becoming a little more nuanced and I think that leads really well into Kubo which was the last uh, Leica Studio production that was released when was it released? On August 19th of 2016. And tell us a little bit about the film. The main character was a 12-year-old Japanese boy, and it takes place in feudal Japan from thousands of years ago. And he does magic with origami, and he fights the evil forces of the Moon King. And then Kubo wakes up, ends up in a world where his mother is a Japanese macaque monkey. Mm-hmm. And his father was Hanzo, who was transformed by the sisters into a beetle-like hybrid. And they go on a journey to discover Kubo's true identity. And Raiden, the Moon King, who was Kubo's, who was the villain, who happened to be Kubo's grandfather, the reason he was evil and later turned into a into a monstrous beast mm-hmm. is because... What turned him evil and bitter was something he forgot about, but he reforms at the end when he turns back to normal and remembers what he was and he changes and he stops being evil. 
one of the big themes in Kubo and the Two Strings is this idea of memory, of remembering who you are, because the monkey and the beetle character, who, who, as you said, we learn later in the film that they are the transformed versions of Kubo's mom and dad. They had forgotten who they were. We see this running theme in that film of remembering. There's a big emphasis on storytelling. And in fact, that's how he defeats uh, the Moon King at the end. And really, Kubo was a big departure because I think the previous films, you could see the influence of Nightmare Before Christmas on those films, right? But as you said, this was set in feudal Japan. The art style was very different. The storytelling was very different. It was about like Japanese culture. Right. There wasn't really as much of a horror element to it. Except that there were some scary Japanese monsters. Right. And there, there certainly were scary bits. Like the one of the villains are the sisters, the twin sisters. Yeah, I know. And there's like those scary, bit mythical monsters and beasts. But for the most part, I wouldn't say it's really drawing necessarily that much from the the horror genre. More like myth, not so much of horror. More like myth. Exactly. And so it's really interesting. Just that transition. That trend seems to be continued with Missing Link. It draws more adventure comedy. Right. Kubo was nominated for two Academy Awards. Right, which actually is pretty rare. It was nominated for animated best, feature. And best visual effects. Right. But, but for best visual um, effects, I think it lost to some other movie, but in the animated feature category, it lost to Zootopia. Right. Kubo and the Two Strings is one of only two films nominated for both animated feature and best visual effects. And it did win uh, the British Academy of Film Awards. It won for best animated film. That one was a really interesting film. And really, in my opinion, the like a film that really flexed its visual muscles yeah. the most. One of the standout scenes was the scene where they have to retrieve an item from this giant skeleton, which... A fun fact about that is they actually built a 16-foot-tall... A really big, ginormous prop, which is, like, one of the biggest things used in a stop-motion film. Right. And it, and it's so and it's so fun, because watching the behind-the-scenes, for me, was almost more fun than actually watching the film, just to see the craft going into making that film, because the visual effects are just so incredible. Just watching the film for that reason is totally worth it. Before we close out the our episode on Leica and Missing Link, let's discuss the studio itself and a little bit about its history. So, Ezra, tell us about Leica. It's the successor to Will Vinton Studios and was founded by the late stop-motion animator Will Vinton, mm-hmm. who sadly passed away at the age of 70 last October. What works did he, Will Vinton, work on? Like the California Raisins, Rip Van Winkle... Closed Mondays, an Academy Award-winning short from 1974. Mm-hmm. Dinosaurs, a fun-filled trip back in time. Um, he also did M&M's commercials in the 1990s for M&M's Candy. And he also did a show from the 2000s called The PJs. And so what what did Leica work on when it first started? The first thing they did as their contract work was Tim Burton's Corpse Bride. Then uh, some live action films, King of California, 2007. Mm-hmm. An animated show called Slacker Cats from 2007 to 2009. And a 2011 comedy film called uh, Very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. Those are... Films that they were associated with, but their contract work. Yeah, and so as we mentioned, they didn't produce their first feature film until 2009. Before Coraline came out, it was actually struggling a little bit. 
they had to lay off a lot of staff. Um, to focus on their first movie. Right. There was a lot at stake with this first film. And it is and it is a bit of an odd film to rely on because it's a children's horror story that had just come out. And it's creepy. A lot of the themes are really adult in nature. Yeah. But obviously it worked out well because yeah. a lot of people, you know, I can't yeah. really speak for kids, but certainly the critics and a lot of the adult viewers really responded well, yeah. I think, to, to the themes and to the film itself. Yep, yep, yep. You know, with the success of Coraline, that really established, I think, Laika yeah. as a one of the premier animated studios. And they, they opted. Do you know why they opted to go with stop motion? Because they wanted to revive the former glory of that stuff. Last I heard, they're trying to ramp up production so that they can be producing one film a year, uh, which yeah. would be really a huge deal just given the amount of work that goes into stop motion. Like, and like, because they've only released films certain years this decade. Right. So they've only done five films, uh, which is a lot of films, five films across 10 years. Clearly, Laika has really had a lot of success so far, and hopefully they keep building on that success with Missing Link. We'll certainly yeah. see for ourselves when it comes out this Friday. Yeah, so I think that's our episode on Missing Link. For the next episode, we have a special episode that's coming out next week. And can you tell us a little bit about it, Ez? It'll be talking about Easter and Passover and what Easter and Passover specials there have been. Yeah, so just like all of our favorite animated movies and shows have their own holiday specials. Like, like which would be Christmas specials. Yeah. Or yeah. sometimes even Hanukkah specials. Right, so they have their own holiday specials. So we thought, why not have our own holiday special? Now, on to our trivia questions. As promised, we are answering last episode's trivia question here. The question was, what color was Oscar the Grouch originally going to be? And as well as what color was he originally in the first episode of Sesame Street? Originally in an early sketch, like when the show was in early development, he was originally going to be magenta, pinkish purple. And then in his first appearance, he was orange in the first few episodes of the show, but then they later changed him to green. And why is that? Maybe because it's better since he's living in a trash can. Right, I think green is more associated with garbage than, than orange. And also probably because he's grouchy. What's the relation between green and grouchy? I don't know. You just think that the color makes more sense for someone who's grouchy? Yeah, maybe also because the someone else is, who's grouchy and also green is the Grinch created by Dr. Seuss. Okay, so yeah, there is that association there. Um, so maybe, yeah, that's... A Only problem. Oscar's not, so mm, he's just grouchy. Okay, great. So that was the trivia question from last week. So, and now we are going to have another trivia question for this week. So Ezra, what is our trivia question for this episode? What was the last animated feature Walt Disney supervised before his death? So if you know the answer to that question, shoot us an email or leave us a comment on our Facebook page at Animation and Beyond. If you know the answer and let us know the answer, we will give you a shout out on the episode. And yeah, I think that's it for this episode. Animation Beyond is written and produced by Ezra Fieldsmeyer and Casey Cantrell, with music by Noam Fieldsmeyer. We'd like to give a big thanks to the family and friends who have supported this podcast. 
Got a comment, question, or recommendation for future episodes? Let us know by leaving us a comment on our Facebook page or send us an email at animationbeyond at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Animation Beyond. Bye! (laughs) Bye!